If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 224 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Gerald Bonner. Gerald has been on the podcast before to talk about being a knowledge worker, and that episode actually made the top 10 back in 2018. We'll be sure to link to it in the show notes for this episode, and that also raises a quick point we'd like to make before turning to the conversation with Gerald. Namely, we've now published more than 200 episodes of the podcast, all of them containing information that may be helpful to you in your day-to-day work. So we want to make sure that you know you can find a link to the full list of episodes by visiting leadinglearning.com slash podcast. On that page, you'll also find a list of some of the most popular episodes organized into different categories. And then finally, there's a search box on every page of the Leading Learning site that can help you find information in the podcast episodes, as well as in the many other articles and resources that we've published on the Leading Learning site. So all in all, these are great tools to support you in your continuing flow of work learning needs. And speaking of continually learning, Jeff, I know that's what Gerald Bonner is all about. What did you and he cover this time around? Well, you're right that Gerald is definitely an always-be-learning type of guy. And these days, he's very focused on the connection between learning and the concept of flow, or basically getting in the zone with whatever activity you're engaged in. More than that, though, he's been exploring the connection between flow and other major concepts, including grit, mindset, which we've discussed before on the show, and authentic happiness. So as you might guess, this is all fertile ground for a very interesting conversation. And we start out by talking about what flow is, and then we talk about the other concepts, tying them all back to learning, as well as to the future of work, and really, for that matter, the future of life in general. And toward the end, we even veer into a discussion about strategy, and basically about learning as integral to effective strategy. I feel certain there is a lot here that the average leading learning listener is going to find engaging, and perhaps we'll even put some listeners into a state of flow. Wow. Well, that sounds like more top 10 material there. To go along with this flow-inducing episode, what reflection questions will listeners find in the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 224? We'll have two general areas of questioning to offer. First, When is the last time you personally can recall being in a state of flow and what got you there? How might you replicate that process in the future? And then second, how much do you know about what puts your learners into a state of flow? And, you know, that's going to vary a great deal, of course, from individual to individual, but are there any commonalities across the types of experiences that put your learners into flow? And it's probably worth noting that the second line of questioning involves what many learning businesses don't do enough of, uh, getting out there and talking with their learners. So that may be something you want to get into your plans for the coming months. But for now, let's go with the flow and roll the conversation with Gerald Bonner. Hey there, I'm Jeff Cobb. This is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today I am pleased to be sitting in Leading Learning Global Headquarters with Gerald Bonner. 
Longtime listeners may remember that Gerald joined us back on episode 149 to talk about knowledge work and becoming the knowledge worker. And he's dropped in today to talk about his latest obsession, which is learning flow. And we're going to get to what learning flow is here in just a minute. But first, Gerald, great to see you. Welcome back to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me back, uh, Jeff. I mean, we've run into each other at networking events, and we've uh, liked our stuff, each other's stuff on LinkedIn. I know you've been quite busy helping people learn about how, how to be successful in the learning. And it's always fun to be uh, face-to-face in, in an interview, and it's always good to hang out with you. Yeah, I mean, I get so, so few chances. Is uh, to, to actually sit across the table from somebody other than Salisa when uh, when doing these uh, podcast episodes. So it is nice when that finally happens. It's not uh, somebody on a on a Zoom call or a, or a Skype call that I'm talking to. So you you know reached out uh, a couple weeks ago to say that you've been you know focusing on this this new topic. Uh, it, it, it sounds like some some pieces have sort of fallen together for you and and how you think about learning and. Um, I was very intrigued. You described this as, as learning flow and uh, and specifically about behaviors for success and happiness. So this kind of connection between learning and happiness that I th- thought was really in- intriguing. I want to make sure we get into that. But but first of all, learning flow. What what is learning flow and why why are you focused on learning flow? Yeah. So actually, I'm not focused on learning flow. I'm focused on teaching people to learn flow. Uh, okay. Okay. So, and the reason why I'm not focused on it is because I've actually figured out how to do it and I've been doing it for many, many years. And, um, you know, we've talked before and I've shared with you a lot of the different books I've read. And this past fall, I just started, you know, falling into reading one book after another from the masters of happiness and, and success, namely Carol Dweck, uh, Mikhail, uh, Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, and uh, Angela Duckworth, and even uh, Daniel Pink's Driven. Mm. And as I'm reading through these books, you know, they're all referencing each other like they're the Breakfast Club or something, right. you know? So, and then you, you know, it just came to me that after, re- you know, we all heard, have heard of uh, people talking about athletes in the zone, and I knew of flow. Uh, many many years ago. However, I never really thought of all the all these different pieces to keep you in flow. So, uh, the big anchor part was Mihal Csikszentmihalyi talked about, "Hey, look, if you really want to get into the flow, the best state to be to get into that state, you really need to challenge yourself, and you really need to um, think about what you're doing and." The best way to challenge yourself is to be learning new skills. And, and so, uh, for listeners who may not be familiar with the, the concept, I mean, what what is flow when you, when you use that that term flow? Yeah. So um, many times we hear the athletes in the zone, mm-hmm. and so flow is another way of saying you're in the zone, which means you're very competent. Your unconscious mind is doing all the things you know and learn to do without having to think it. And you're, you're absorbing the challenge and you're knowing it's going to be successful. You're feeling the, um, a little bit of anxiety because you know, you don't really know the outcomes. Like Brady doesn't know if he's going to win the Super Bowl. People don't know if they're going to win elections, but you know, they get up and they make their campaign speech, uh, P- uh, pitches and uh, or whether you're in a startup making a pitch you know you don't know if you're going to get money but you're you, you if you don't have that edge of oh this is a challenge and am I preparing for it whether it be a TED talk or a presentation in front of hundreds or writing a book that edge is what really you know is when you really get into the zone and you're just totally even though you don't know the end result you're totally happy and content and nothing distracts you mm. and you 
uh, I gather from our conversations before this, really see learning as a, as a path to, to being in flow. Yes, right. So the more whether you, and we're not we're not talking about orthodox learning. Mm. We're not talking about that's, sitting that's an in important a class. Point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're mm. talking about hey, I'm in a meeting and I just learned something. So and you, and I'm and because you're always open to learning and you're looking for new opportunities and you're thinking about what did I just learn or am I going to learn this new skill whether it's I'm listening to Malcolm Gladwell or I'm listening to a music song and you figure out how to put that song into um into a presentation, whatever you're doing, if you're if you're thinking about what can I learn uh, from a book, what can I? I mean, it's not I'm in a class learning. It's I learned uh, like when and actually as I created this content, when I'm reading my business books to stay up to date on the trends to help my clients, I sit with my cell phone in the notepad opens because and I sit there and I go, oh, here's a really good quote, page six on the bottom, and I write a word. And then I'm reading and three pages later, I'm like, okay, now on page 10, here's a quote, I, I need to write this down. Because then I go back to my computer and I go through the book and I write this all down so I can say, okay, well, how do I put these key points into a presentation? So that's that's learning at a level that most people don't read their books, right? And And so when you're doing that, you at some point become aware, uh, or maybe it's only in, in reflection, you become aware that you've kind of gotten into a state of flow yourself in, in, in the process of doing that. Yes. So so because of how I am wired and the modules I've gotten, see, and there I'm just plugging in something I learned from somebody else who talked about people have modules, and mm. some of them you get, maybe you do get a module, maybe you don't. So I've got the music module, I've got the finance module, and I've got the flow module, right? So you you when I'm doing this stuff, and I'm so I'm happy and I'm content. Like a lot of people say, why do you read all these business books? Why don't you read something of leisure? I'm like, well, actually, because I'm learning and I'm having fun and it's interesting content that I like, it's I'm comfortable with it. So I'm actually able to combine my maintenance, uh, my leisure time with my productivity time, which is part of the way we spend our activities based on Mihal Chick Semihai's content of flow. So two of the three things um, that I'm doing when I'm reading is related to being happy and my success. And in fact, uh, one of the other things that flows into the, <laughs> that's funny uh, <laughs> pun there. Sorry, yeah. folks. Uh, one of the things that flows into this whole thing is if you just have a job, you're not going to get into flow because it's just, I'm just doing this job to get, uh, money to pay mm -hmm. my bills. However, if you're thinking about your career, then you're more. You, there's going to be more opportunity to move into flow. When you work for purpose and passion, you're going to be into flow much, much more, and 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 in a more regular time. And then the more you're in flow, the happier you'll be. And it seems to me that there's a, a definitely a connection there between motivation and flow. And we, we've talked a good bit about motivation on the podcast before. Uh, because to, to learn effectively, you typically you have to find your motivation. You have to find your learner's motivation. And I mean, it's I, I think that. Well, I'm wondering how this works uh, for you. You seem to have come naturally to, you know, recognizing the importance of flow and, and, and recognizing when you are in a state of flow. Even though before reading Cheek Sent Me High, you didn't know about the concept. You were right. kind of doing it. I suspect that that most of us could probably spend more time reflecting and identifying those times when we were 
in flow, what gets us into flow, and then even mapping back from there to our, our underlying motivations. Because it seems, you know, if you're going to be a self-directed learner, which we've uh, talked about some, or if you're going to help others learn, you've got to understand, you know, when those flow states are going to happen and, you know, foundationally, some of the motivations that are going to lead people to those flow states. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the motivation comes from, I want to be happy. So if I want to be happy, then I want to get in, the more I can get into a flow state, the happier I'll be. And then, so that turns around and says, well, if you want to get into a flow state, you you should try to learn something to do it better. That's why, you know, um, in the past couple of years, there's been a lot of debate whether should you work for purpose and passion or should you work for just a paycheck and a career? Well, if you work for purpose and passion, then it's not really work. It's it's fun and it's interesting. And actually, in the presentation that I put together for this, um, there's a quote, and um, the picture I use for the quote is the uh, the space program in the, in the '60s, mm. right? So all these people were working on a space uh, program: the Mercury for one astronaut, Gemini for two astronauts, and then the Apollo for three to go to the moon. How many? You know, thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people worked on that program. And they never knew. There was no. Oh yeah, we'll get to the moon, right? I mean, every you know, every every launch was. They learned something in every launch, right? So, so, but those people were definitely probably in high flow states most of the time to have such a great outcome in ten years. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a great point. That uh, you know, particularly things that require you know a, a lot of learning over time uh, to to really solve for something complex or to to really innovate. Boy, I mean, flow is going to be essential. You, you, you have to be able to consistently probably achieve a, a flow state if you're going to keep at that and, and, and keep doing that over the, the years that it takes to, to realize those kinds of achievements. Right, and, and that's where Carol Duckworth's uh, stuff plugs in because she, that's the grit side of it, ah, okay, yeah. right? So, you know, if you want... It, Carol uh, and Angela Duckworth is sitting there saying... If you want to be successful, well, you got to keep doing it, not for a month, not for three months, but for five years, mm-hmm. 10 years. And that kind of flows into the the whole concept of, well, you know, you have to have the 10,000 hours and, and right. that debate and that right. discussion. So if you're practicing it for long periods of time and you're working on it and you're getting up after each time you fail and, you, you know, the future, everybody keeps talking about the future of work. Our great friend Heather McGowan talks mm-hmm. about it. You you got to learn how to fail and 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 take it in stride and not go I'm stupid I can't do this. You just have to say okay. So what can I grow from this and what yeah. can I, what can I glean from this learning failure to move forward? That all is connected. And so you're good at recognizing um, flow in yourself. Mm-hmm. It seems like uh, how do you how do you know you've got grit? So I know I got grit because. Um, I failed a lot of times, mm. and I've got real patience not to give up. Mm. So, uh, for an example, um, I had two situations in China where I was trying to get um, some full time work, and um, the 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 hiring process went months and months and months, and 
you know, people would be like, well, why don't you just give up on these guys? And I'm like, well, I don't have to give up. I just have to wait for them to say they're done. And if they don't make me an offer, it's no big deal because I still got something going on, on on the parallel side. And I'm figuring out my economics so that I don't go bankrupt or mm-hmm. I don't go poor and I don't have to take work I don't want to do. And I also, am, uh, it's like playing poker, maybe seven card poker with 21 cards or 25 cards, you know, mm-hmm. you just, okay, give me another card. Another day is another card. And okay, so I didn't. I don't have a winning hand yet. So next day, give me another card, and you just keep going. And as, as, if you don't throw in the towel because you're you, you think it's a better growth opportunity, then you just you, you're as long as you're not losing your own money. Yeah, you're in good shape. Well, and there's something interesting in there. You um, seem to be good at sort of personally structuring or scaffolding uh, situations. So. It's possible for you to have grit. You, you know you've got options. There's there's not a just one point of failure, which I think can be that can be demoralizing. That can be demotivating. Where if you feel like everything depends on you know this one thing, it can be hard to have grit. Um, and I think and I say that because uh, you know people listening here, I think a real key to sustaining motivation, getting people to that state of flow, is to to help scaffold to structure learning experiences in a way where grit is possible, where, where grit seems like uh, uh, a, a doable um, idea. Yeah, so that, that's correct. And in, in Angela Duckworth's book, um, she talks about, she has two quotes by some of the most uh, unique people. One is uh, uh, Julius Irving, the former basketball player mm-hmm. from Dr. The, J. Yeah. Dr. J, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so he's, he made the statement uh, professionals are people that are actually people that get up and do the things they love every day mm. on the days they don't on want the days to they do. Don't. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So you've heard that quote, right? I have. Yeah. yeah. I right. So that's that's grit, right? So how many days? Like you know, again, I've learned to uh, appreciate reading the, the books I like to read because I know that they're going to help me make be successful in my career. And then the other one was Will Smith. And Will Smith said, you're, you're born with talent naturally, but if you really want to be great, you have to hone in and bang on that talent every day. Mm-hmm. And so that's the gritty part. So, but most people just, you know, for life, because life happens, they don't, they don't do it. However, the, the future of work is not going to let people sit back and go, if you're not gritty and if you're not toning that, uh, hammering on that skill every day, you're you're going to be a C player. Most people don't realize, oh my God, I'm actually a C player. And yeah, okay, you can get through life being a C player, but you won't be you won't be the next Bill Gates, right? And or you won't be a Nobel P- Prize winner. Yeah, and and, and I think a big part of your uh, point too is that. Um, it's not only about uh, performance and success. I mean, obviously, these are things you need to do if you want to perform well, if you want to succeed, but it's also about happiness. I mean, if you yeah. want that sense of, you know, f- and maybe, I don't even know if, ha- maybe it's fulfillment, which can be a little bit different mm-hmm. from happiness, but uh, if you want that, um, and I think most people uh, do uh, in- intrinsically, um, you got to have the grit. Yes. Yeah, so, so I think what the, the happiness part is how many people actually go home and say, I did a good day's worth of work. And because and that's the work I want to do because it provides enough for me and my family and we I have a great family life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I don't have the data. I don't know the stats. But when you talk to most people, they're so frustrated. They're so disappointed. Most people don't go. I made a choice to take X type of job because it lets me be a better father. It lets me be a 
better mother, and I'm a great father, and I'm a great mother, and I'm a great husband, and I'm a great wife, and the money is not that important, and I don't care that I don't have a Mercedes or a mm. Maserati. I, I don't think people really sit back, you know, people, you, most, I would, somebody, I hope somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but most people are always thinking about, well, when am I going to get rich? Mm. Yeah, or, I mean, even if they're not thinking that, I mean, the, the stats are out there. I don't have any at my fingertips, but uh, but I know they're out there around, you know, just general dissatisfaction with work. You know, yes. most people are not satisfied in their jobs. Yeah, um, so, so the stats on that is specifically anywhere between 60 to 70% of the workforce is dissatisfied or totally dissatisfied that they're actually sabotaging the company. Mm. And another strange stat that um, I've noticed over the last year and a half and, and or four years. So the first stat that's older is most Americans have less than $400 for an No, I'm sorry. Correct me. You can clean this up. <laughs> the, the stat that most people um, don't realize is 50% of Americans don't have $400 for an emergency. Mm. Right? So there, So that says how, how people are doing economically. So they hate their jobs. And they're not doing well economically. And then the other stat I saw that in the last year was pretty crazy. It said most Americans don't take all their vacation that they're allotted. Yeah. yeah. Now the f- that's like now my people. Most people might go, oh well, that's too sad. Well, of course they don't take their vacation. They don't have four hundred dollars to go on vacation. Yeah, yeah. See, that's that's real high level learning and connecting the dots. Yeah. And when you can make that kind of stuff, that's when you get into flow. Well, and I think that might be a great um, segue into the, the sort of other, uh, I guess, point in this sort of three-legged stool you've put together. We've, we've talked about uh, flow. We've talked about grit. You know, the other I- idea concept that gets cross-referred with, with those all the time is this idea of mindset. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as for ourselves and as learning providers, we need to do what we can to, to structure experiences that will help people reach flow. We need to do what we can to structure experiences that will uh, help people have grit. But when you talk about, you know, people being disillusioned in their jobs, p- potentially disillusioned in their, their life and their career um, uh, prospects, so much of that comes back to mindset. Mm-hmm. And having that, that growth mindset where you believe I can learn what I need to learn to go where I want to go, mm-hmm. uh, basically. And that, that's not exactly, exactly how Carol Dweck puts it, but, uh, but that's you know, kind of the general gist of mindset. Right. Talk to us a little bit more about uh, the, the mindset component of this. Yeah, so the, the first thing that I noticed about me in my mindset is, first of all, I'm, I think I'm blessed and I'm really, really lucky that the universe has given me the life I had, even though... I've had some really downs in and really deep valleys of 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 overcoming adversity. And um but at the end of the day I know I've got to travel around the world. I've got to see great concerts. I've got to see great plays. I'm not living in a car. Uh so that mindset right there is like, well yeah, I'm I'm pretty lucky, right? Mm-hmm. So and and that's all without a bachelor's degree. Right. So, and and then the other side of the growth mindset is I I'm always knowing that I'm if I'm put in front of the right people that want to be enlightened and want to learn how to overcome some of the challenges, they're gonna go like, wow, this stuff is really different, and I really can take something away and feel better and think about how I see myself, and they can turn around and be motivated to go. Well, actually, I guess I can do that because it's really not that bad. I mean, if you just one of the things I used to tell a friend many, many years ago was, "We don't live in Lebanon. 
You know, mm. I mean, can you imagine growing up in a place like Lebanon where there's bombs going all the time? Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. So if we think about, okay, so we're starting off in a good place and all we got to do is work hard and think of the upside uh, and which uh, the fourth person in the in this group is uh, Martin Seligman, who talked about learned optimism and uh, authentic happiness. Mm. So, and then the trailing newbie is... Um, Sean Anker, right, with the okay. advantage happiness. And he talks about this as well. So if you start thinking about, okay, well, how can I get into, if I can just think of myself as, you know, five levels above third world countries, I'm actually, it's pretty good. You know, most people in third world countries don't get to watch soup bowls and they don't get to have right. cars and they don't really, you know, our level of, you know, I know there are poor people here in the United States, so I don't want to sound stupid and I don't want to demean those people. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, it's good you brought up uh, Martin uh, Seligman there. Um, I mean, he has the learned opt- optimism, and of course, the, the flip side is kind of the learned helplessness. Right. Um, that uh, you know that, and, and again, you know, I don't want to imply that anybody who's in a sort of a, a poverty situation or um, any sort of disadvantage uh, situation is automatically um, somebody who's uh, experiencing learned helplessness. Um, obviously, there are. There are plenty of economic challenges, structural right. challenges in, in, in our societies that need to be addressed. But no, no matter where you are in the economic spectrum, um, you know, even if you are on the fortunate end of it, I mean, I, I think what, uh, what will aggravate me the most is when I see people who are in situations like you're describing where they've really got everything. I mean, like yeah. you said, you know, if you've got a decent job, you've got the income, you know, you're able to have leisure activities, whatever, and they still have this sort of sense of, of learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. they, they don't have the growth mindset. They're not tapping into the grit. And unfortunately, they're probably not experiencing flow uh, very often. Th- that's, that's perfectly said, Jeff. Right. So there's people that are in such good positions, and that, that's what Carol calls the fixed mindset, right? Mm-hmm. And they sit there and they go, well, I can't learn this, or I don't want to take the risk because because it'll, uh, if I fail, I'll I'll be I'll look bad. Well, it's like really, you, you look where you are, and you know you you take instead of taking a high risk, you take a a low risk, and yeah, you you conquer the low risk, but you don't realize that the low risk has put you in fifth place, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah, those people need to like wake up and go, wow, you know, uh, I need to stretch myself because the future economy is not going to be nice to those people. That's mm-hmm. really the truth, right? Um, maybe if you're, um, don't want to sound, um, if if you're under 45 and you're not learning, uh, the future of work is not going to be nice to you if you're not learning. It's And you don't have that growth mindset of, I got to learn something every day and I got to figure out what's the next step in, in the world and how, how can I learn to be a better husband? How can I learn to have a happier life? All that stuff. Because if they don't do it, you know, they're going to be, when they get older, they're going to be going, how come I'm in this situation? Yeah. And it, you, you made the comment at the beginning that you're, you know, you weren't talking about sort of orthodox learning when, when, mm-hmm. when you were talking about learning, which I think is important because for me, this brings up, um, what I see as a, as a significant issue relative to the nature, uh, or the, the future of work, uh, and the, and the future of, of learning in that it's not, ju- it's not going to be about Orthodox learning is not going to be about well. I mean, people keep focusing on education. Mm-hmm. Education, you know, as a as a formal sort uh, of learning, obviously is important. But I keep saying 
when you look at what's happening with artificial intelligence, with machine learning, you know, with, with what it's possible to do with even, you know, complex, uh, cognitively complex professions now, you know, what a computer, what a machine is going to be able to do well enough um, going forward. They don't have to do it, you know, in the same way a human being could do mm-hmm. it. They just have to be able to, to do it right. at, at the level that gets the job done. When you look at that, I mean, my, my view is we really can't educate ourselves fast enough. Um, I mean, you can't sit in a classroom and, and learn enough knowledge quickly enough to keep up with that. Um, so it takes a different perspective on learning, the un, you know, unorthodox uh, learning, true learning, as I would put it, which does mean understanding these things like what gets me into flow, you know, how do I have the grit that I need? How do I have that growth mindset that's going to get me there? And, you know, for ourselves and you know, for everybody who's listening, for the learners we serve, helping people tap into that sort of true learning mindset, that's, that's what's going to be needed to, to thrive and, and, and survive into in the future. Yeah, so, so you make a great point there, Jeff. What people are not really thinking about is they're not learning how to learn how to read people and understand people and, and work with people. Mm. I mean, the machines that can do the, the high you know, AI and deep learning, a machine is never going to be able to sit in front of a person, not in our lifetime. It's never going to be able to sit in front of a person and say, oh, that person's feeling a little bit of fear because I used the wrong word. That, that machine is never going to get the social intelligence and the vibe of a room, mm-hmm. right? The machine's going to be in the room, it's going to put stuff up on the wall, and it's not going to have a clue of whether or not half the audience likes the picture and half the audience doesn't. Right. So, you know, the only people, the only, it's going to be people. Now, if you can learn how to read people better, if you can learn how to be emotionally connected to people better, if you can understand what makes them happy and get them into flow by, and, and making their day better and, and motivating them to, to, to climb up the ladder instead of just sitting in the couch, then you're going to have skills that people want. Mm-hmm. If you're just sitting there going, well, I want to be in the couch, uh, they're going to say, okay, well, here's a couch job. Yeah. Yeah. And, and back to your earlier point, too, about, you know, uh, taking risks, um, learning from them. I mean, machines, machines aren't going to take risk. Machines just aren't going to experience the world in the way that a human being can experience the world in, in terms of interacting with other human beings, taking risk, learning from it. I'm, you know, in a mathematical sense, I guess a machine can take a risk. But, you know, in the messy uh, human sense right. that then leads to creativity and innovation and, and, and empathy and everything else, uh, that's you know, that's the province of human beings. That's the, you know, that's the, 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 the I guess the realm of learning, um, that, that I find so important. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be all the data in the machine is not going to be able to tell two people in a conversation. I mean, you're not going to walk. I hope we don't see the day where people are walking around with earplugs and they're waiting for the machine to tell them what questions mm-hmm. to ask and what, and you know, I don't think a machine is ever going to be able to look at a person and go and then, on the spot, say to the person with the earplug, that person's feeling a little bit of fear or that person's feeling sad, ask them this question. I mean, if you have to wait that out, you're not human anymore, right? Right, right. So I can't see that happening. 
certainly doesn't seem uh, on the horizon anytime soon. Uh, still, I would t- take the earplug out. <laughs> yeah, this is, as far as we know, we're, we're still not in the matrix yet. Right, so. right. Exa- exactly. Yeah, we're yeah. not in the matrix. Right. So we're going to have, as people, we're going to have to be able to say, well, gee, how can I tell that my conversation with Jeff is getting him in the flow? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it boring to him? And he's like, oh, he's going to scrap this, right? Uh, how can I make sure that Jeff is, is having as much fun as I'm having, right? And that's that's what you got to do for people. Is yeah. get, and you're going to do that by challenging them, by letting them know they're successful. And you're going to do that by, you know, helping them know that they, they're going to be okay at the end when they're finished with the project. So we've, you really, uh, and, and thanks for, for, you know, dropping by and having this conversation and bringing me into it. But, uh, uh I guess now we have, have tied together some major concepts that, mm-hmm. I mean, really, I hope most people listening are at least vaguely familiar with already. Um, and to the extent that you weren't, you, you are now. And, and hopefully we'll go out and, and, and dig into these some more. So, you know, flow uh, with me highly, cheek sent me high. Uh, and kudos to both of us for knowing how to pronounce his, yeah. his name correctly. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, if you haven't read that book, uh, you're listening here, uh, that must read book, mm-hmm. uh, Carol Dweck's Mindset, also a must read book. We did an episode on that. We'll be sure to link to uh, that episode. Angela Duckworth with Grit. Uh, Martin Seligman has multiple books. Right, um, multiple books. Authentic Happiness, and uh, that's the one I can name off the top of my head. Right. Um, But all of these, you know, great, great reads. We'll make sure we link to all of them in the the show notes for this episode. Um, Certainly all great on their own. I think the, the... thing about this conversation that has been so fascinating for me, and maybe I've gotten a little bit of a state of flow in the, in the, <laughs> the process here, is that they, I mean, they do all support and, and, and feed each other. Um, you know, they're, they're connected together and being able to take all of those concepts and help bring them meaningfully into your own learning and help bring them meaningfully into the learning of the people that, that you're supporting. You know, for anybody who's listening to this podcast, that. I mean, for me, that's a home run. You know, that that's something, and we'll probably never achieve it. Uh, mm-hmm. All of us as as, uh, as teachers, facilitators, but to, to be striving towards that, right? And striving towards it, and and just you know, even just making people aware of it, yeah, and that they should be thinking like, well, yeah, if you're up against a challenge and it's taking you two or three months or five months or six months. You're just being gritty, and that's what you got to do to get it done. And if you're thinking about, like, one of the one time I was talking to a big uh, managing director in China, and he said, "Gerald, you got you really got a plant mindset." I'm like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "He goes, you don't see dirt, you see opportunities, and you see solutions, and you mm. you always see positive results that of ways to make something happen, and you're willing to try them." And I'm like, "Well, and I hadn't realized, but what he was actually explaining to me was my growth mindset." Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, when you're able to have that that ability to say if we did this well ha- this is the this is the upside potential from doing x anybody can say let's not do it cuz we don't want to fail but if you're always saying well the upside potential is mm-hmm. and then when you start thinking about okay well if, the, if that's the upside potential how can we really get there well then all of a sudden you're now you're in a learning state which means you're just going to start flowing yeah well, you know, again, thanks for uh, for reaching out to me about this and, and dropping by to, today to talk about it. Um, as we're wrapping up, you you've already answered before our question about the uh, kind of life changing mm-hmm. uh, learning experience, um, you know, as an adult after formal education. So I won't ask that again. But uh, you know, we're at the beginning of a new year. Um, do you have anything you're you're doing right now, or you have planned for this year? 
and this I can maybe maybe a little bit of a trick question for you because you're 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 always you're always on when it comes to learning. But mm-hmm. uh, anything in particular you have planned or are in the process of right now, and in, in terms of your your own learning. I mean, what new skill do I want to learn? Yeah, it could be a new skill. Yeah. Um, wow. That's a tough one. So um, I am creating some new material for some new work. Mm-hmm. So that's a learning experience. Because every time, I don't know if the material is going to work. So that's always a learning experience. Yeah. Um, am I trying to learn anything particular? Um, no. Because I, I, it's, it's really hard. Because I'm, yeah. I'm sitting there watching... I, actually, I guess I could learn to to do less reading. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you shouldn't do that. I, yeah. Well, I'll mention we haven't really emphasized the fact that I mean, you are. I mean, you have your own business. You're yeah. you're, you're an entrepreneur, um, so you're engaged in that, and you're. I, I'm sure you're focused on trying to grow that this year. And right, uh, and and every year we're learning new things. Like, so here here's something that you know, if we share with the audience one last story, how do you learn on the fly? Mm. Okay, so we've been lucky to get a, an advisor from uh, somebody out at NC State. And he said to us, you know what? You guys don't own the space. And we're like, own the space? What does that mean? And he's like, well, you know, if you Google this term and that term, the people that pay for the advertising and the search and SEO, search engine optimization uh, tricks to show up number one and number two are trying to own the space. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, so I mean, trick the, you know, work the algorithms so we come up number one, number two. He's like, yes, you want to own that space. So no matter who Googles it. So what did we do? And so this is learning on the fly and puts us into flow because so we turned around and we asked 10 people. If you wanted to solve X problem with an employee, how would you Google it? Mm. Specifically a manager. So we said, if you had a manager that wasn't doing well, what would you Google? We got t- like you know five different answers, so so it was like we use we literally had to use a heat map to see which one was like number two and number three. Yeah. So so then we learned that okay, so now we have an idea of what to play with for search terms. Yeah. And then just this week, I was at NC Biotech, and I was taking a uh, they had a marketing uh, networking event and to learn about marketing. What did I do? so when they said anybody have a question? I said yeah. Can you tell me what you know how important it is to try to own a space? Mm. And how do you do that? And they say, well, actually, in the only way you can own a space, and you ready for this, Jeff? Be first to market in the space. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> you serious? And they're like, yeah, because if you're if it's if it's an established market and people already own the space, the only way you can do it is by spending tons of money to get over the search out, the SEOs and the search uh, engine optimization tricks. So you got to spend a lot of money in that space. And they say, and I'm like big players can like, if Oracle wanted to get mm-hmm. into the cloud space against Amazon, they can do that. Cause they got the marketing money to try to own that space. But if, if you're five years late to the space, you're never going to kick out an incumbent. Well, that's interesting. Well, two, two and things. I learned that, right? Yeah, well, that's two, learning on the fly. Well, two comments to that because those do relate so well to uh, so much of what we cover on the podcast. So I'll I'll, I'll note a couple of things in going out here. Um, one is yes, true. Um, a, a space that's already got a long time uh, uh, leader in it going to be tough to own. That's you know that's the whole um, basis for Blue Ocean strategy, right. which we've talked about a number of times on the podcast, and I, I use elements of. 
you know, it's, it's redefining the space for mm-hmm. what you particularly bring value to. I was working with a client recently and um, the, had them talking about uh, brands that um, their favorite brands or that they, you know, that had had an impact on them. And um, one of the groups brought up um, Chewy, mm-hmm. which is the, uh, the pet food right. um, uh, provider who does a huge online business, you know, and, and of course, Amazon can do everything that Chewy does. I mean, Amazon can deliver mm, right. all of that too, but, but Chewy has managed to sort of carve out its own, its own mm-hmm. space and it, and it, it now owns that particular sort of aspect mm-hmm. of pet products. Um, so, you know, y- you can, you can do it, but, but I think what you, what you did with, um, asking people for what they would type into the, the search engine, I mean, that's a great way to go about it. And that's something we'll do when we're, um, you know, trying to figure out how to get, more people to a client's catalog, you know, right. or to, to their training offerings. When, when I'm interviewing people or surveying people, I'll say, what do you type into Google when you're looking for you know, training for, you know, in a particular area? And you get, you get amazing things back from that. Oh, team. you get amazing. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, again, what I really want the audience to take away from this part of the conversation is I was able to say, okay, I learned something from this professor at NC state pool of management. we, did a focus group on it. So that meant we were learning because we didn't just take his word as gospel. And he's a really smart guy. And then we were in a room with subject matter experts who sell the solutions to the market. And we asked them and we got, mm-hmm. you know, so that's that's what they talk about. That's really the future of learning. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I think if we're going to close on a thought, it's, you know, always take the opportunities to learn that are in front of you and they're always there right. if, that's, if you're paying attention. Right, that's the yeah. unconventional, unorthodox yeah. learning. Yeah, exactly. So that's... that's fantastic note to end on other than I want to make sure you tell listeners where they can find you, find out about you, connect to you. Okay, great. So um, people can find me uh, on LinkedIn, Gerald Bonner, and they can find my company, Corralling Chaos, on LinkedIn as well, or go to our website, corrallingchaos.com. There's two R's and two L's in corralling. <laughs> so um, yeah, and we have a lot of stuff on learning. We have our the podcast I did with you two years ago that reached uh, the top 10, and I was really pleased that we reached the top 10, and uh, that's why I wanted to come back and talk to you again. All right, and we will be sure to, to link to Corralling Chaos and to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Uh, definitely go check out the show notes uh, if you're listening here. Gerald, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thank you for having me, Jeff. That concludes the conversation with Gerald Bonner. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 224. And the show notes will include the reflection questions, which cover flow from two different perspectives. First, when is the last time you personally can recall being in a state of flow and what got you there? How might you replicate that process in the future? Second, how much do you know about what puts your learners into a state of flow? Again, that's going to vary a great deal, of course, from individual to individual, but are there any commonalities across the types of experiences that put your learners into flow? When you check out the show notes, you'll also see the various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We would also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review and reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. 
Finally, consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leadinglearning on each of those channels. However you do it, please follow us and please help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Yeah. <laughs>